Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Welcome to TVI episode 206, live from our houses. Um, I've been away, I've been in Edinburgh and in the Lake District, so I've only just got back, um, hence... What were you doing in the Lake District? District. Burying some bodies. Um, I... <laughs> That's what I put mine. <laughs> Don't dig in your mine up by accident. <laughs> no, I just swung back um, for a couple of days to visit a friend on the way back from Edinburgh. It's so nice. We'll, get, oh, we'll chat about this, we'll introduce our guest. And then we'll talk. Um, we've got. We're joined by comedian. I've been on before. I think second uh, appearance on TV. second time. It's um, Adam Bloom, everyone. Comedian. One of now, my one of my favourite human now beings. Now author. Um, so yeah, you're back on. Excellent timing. Um, today is the release of your book. Um, which is very exciting. I didn't actually notice it was today. I thought it was tomorrow, but, you know, that's fine. It, no, it was, it was tomorrow. Amazon bought it out a day uh, Okay. Early. They surprised me. They surprised me. Um, it's called Finding Your Comic Genius. And it's a proper, like, you know, it's a proper guide to comedy, as well as obviously covering your background in it as well. It's not, you know, it's a sort of, um, what it's like, because you're, it's almost like you're, you're sort of, you've got like an encyclopedic knowledge of comedy. Very different, bit uh, rain man, bit yeah, rain man, like. not like me and Julie. Yeah. We can't even remember our own, our own jokes. <laughs> you, know, you sort of you're very um you're very into you're very interested in the mechan- mechanics of comedy. Um, so yeah, it's um it's exciting. You've written a book about it. I'm looking forward to reading it. Um, Julian's back in his mum's house for a bit. We could, anyone who's looking at. I'm at my dad. I'm at my dad's, and we're both trying to hide the background <laughs> of our parents' house. Um, I'm at mine. My own I house. Sound like this. Rent it. I do the whole thing like this. I'm at some random person's house. Technically, I just rent it off them. Um, so, have you inherited the house, Adam? Yeah, my dad died last year, and my sister and I have inherited it. So, I'm, I've moved in to empty it. It's been a, it's been a colossal job. It's taken my sister, my brother-in-law, me a year to not empty it yet what because i i my dad died last year and i was i emptied out my parents i mean it was a council flat and so like it, it wasn't like you know it wasn't like i was there was probate or anything I'd, i had like a window of time i had to have it cleared by but um it's an it's an end it's a very it's a weird process emptying out your parents place it's it's, it's tough and you've got to be brutal yeah. you can't go that you can't have sentimental value about everything, otherwise you won't have space no, to put no, it no. all. No. Because you've got your own possessions yeah, as well, yeah. right? Yeah. And what's... Except for the money, it's quite sentimental, isn't it? The cash. <laughs> sentimental about cash. Oh, we've got to achieve this, you know. <laughs> it's what you would have wanted. 
You've got to put it in my bar, please. I had a really, listen to this, I had a really touching moment. My sister found a box, and inside the box was almost every review I've ever had since 1996. Yeah. Oh. Newspapers and is Edinburgh what, Festival. Is that, is that Harry died? <laughs> <laughs> No, he, no, he, he died. Of, he died of shame when he found the box that I hid in his house with all my reviews. <laughs> that's what led to this. He chopped himself. Yes. No, that's so. That's so. That's so um, yeah, that's so sweet. Yeah, sorry to report, my parents it's didn't like... have that box of me. You <laughs> <laughs> only had two reviews. Well, I've got a joke. I've got a joke <laughs> in my current show that I just did a little run of in Edinburgh, and I did in Australia that. Um, it's a true story. So I've got a story about the ashes of my dad that I ended up during December last year doing a Zoom gig. It was a corporate Christmas gig, and it's a last-minute one. And I hadn't done a Zoom gig since I moved house, and you know, basically during COVID. And I was literally doing a sound check, and I couldn't find somewhere to like rest my US my mic. I had my USB mic out, and I used my dad's ashes as basically as a mic stand. <laughs> And uh, it's a true story, oh and uh, but in at the end of this, the this routine, I basically point out, I say like, you know, it's really nice that my dad finally came to one of my gigs. <laughs> but it's uh, great. But it's a true story. It's my great. parents um, were not, you know, they were they were they were proud of me, but they sort of it was so outside their remit, they never really engaged with my comedy career. My, uh, my dad did, did comedy, but he never engaged with me at all about it. But I did what? hear. He he spoke to my mum. <laughs> I don't know. I did my about my seventh gig. I put it. I used to audio it, and I put the earphones in, and he's like listening. Yeah. It was the most awkward. It was the most awkward like six minutes of yeah. my life. Like it was so weird watching his face. Yeah, not as awkward um, as it was for him. I thought he'd, I, I thought he'd love it. Or your or your audience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I basically died on my ass. Oh um, he did say to my mum, he did tell my mum, it's weird, it's like your dad's reviews that he found. Like, I bet he, he might not have said that to you. You didn't yeah, know that yeah, he felt yeah. like that. Um, I mean, I don't, I'm just totally assuming <laughs> that. Um, but my dad would never say anything to me, but he might talk to other people yeah, about yeah, it, you yeah, know yeah. what I mean? To not tell him to not book you. Um, <laughs> your your dad did stand up. Yeah. What was his name? Uh, Tommy Dean. But there was also another Tommy Dean comic that is not my dad. But my I'm dad. Glad you've got two dads. <laughs> <laughs> but he did it like he did it at the Cray's. You know the, the Cray Twins, their club and yeah. stuff. Um, wow. Maybe the sixties, the seventies, a little bit. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. Milo McCabe's dad. Yeah, comedian. what's his name? Yeah, that's again. Right, I forgot yeah. what his dad's name. He's a very mainstream. Um, Mike, um, Mike McCabe. Yes. Mike McCabe. Lovely yeah, guy. Yeah. Lovely guy. Um, who else? I'm trying to think. Obviously, you've got Elliot Steele, Mark Steele. Um, yeah. Annie McGrath. Oh, there's a. Rory you, um, you know Sally Ann Haywood's dad? Sally Ann Haywood's dad. Who's, well, who's that? Sally, no, Sally Ann Haywood's um, godfather is um, Roger DeCourcy and Nookie oh, Bear. Oh, really? I didn't mm. know that. Bloody hell. Classic Nepo baby. <laughs> no, I don't know. It doesn't really count if your uncle's just a guy with a puppet. Um, so yes, yeah, so... that's not fair. I can I just say I did a gig at a holiday camp and he was on before me and I went early to watch him and he was. Oh, they all, they all, all that he... generation that gets like you know 
they sort of get a bit of shit from not just my generation but below as well but like you know you watch some of them old the old guard they're proper like you know old pros isn't it they can hold yeah, a run, can't they? They've got other skills as well, man. You just see them as sort of... Well, he, yeah. did, he did half an hour before he got out Nookie yeah, Bear, yeah. so he did half an hour of stand-up. Oh, can I just say one of my favourite heckles? No one found this funny, and I was on the floor, and only about 100 of the 500 people would have heard it, but he went, I came out of retirement to do this show. I don't really work anymore, but I was sitting in my conservatory, and the audience all went, ooh, <laughs> right? And he went, and he went, and my landline rang, and this one bloke went, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that yeah, great? Yeah, yeah. Isn't um, that great? Like, check you out of your landline. But <laughs> and there's no way that no one heard it, because I wasn't sitting yeah, near him, yeah. and I heard it. I was doubled up. <laughs> it was just a perfect. <laughs> it's like a callback 10 seconds yeah, later, yeah. isn't it? That's um, oh, so good. But yeah, so anyway, so you, how long did it take you to write the book? Um, about seven, seven and a half seven months. Half months. What sort of? Yeah. What was like your writing schedule? Was it like a daily thing? Did you park like a, f- a few periods a week? Like how? Because I remember I wrote a treatment for a book once where I wrote a um, I never got, I never got published. But uh, basically, I, the treatment I wrote was about fifty pages of the book. Essentially, it was one full chapter and there was basically a breakdown of each chapter and that took me so long i mean it took me what was it about it was about my mom's about veganism um have you heard have you heard of it uh but it's um yeah it, i just remember just like it it, I, it it was a real process that i found like it was a good insight into how it would be to write a book but you know i was working on yeah, that yeah. solidly every day for weeks basically um, I, I, I just did a stream of consciousness and then broke it into chapters. Okay. Yeah. I, um, I, originally, it was just like chapters changed from subject when I just thought of the next thing. And it would be, and I just go, and that brings us on to the next chapter, dot, 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 and then the next chapter. And then by the time it's finished, none of that yeah, existed. Yeah, yeah. So basically, it was a stream of consciousness that then got chopped up uh, and then okay, changed. Nice. But it, and it, I was just rewriting it as I went, you know. I read the early stages and it's like, you know, it's not that good. It's, But they're just every thought I've ever had, but it's just structuring them into, you know, I, I would say I wrote three quarters of it in the first month and right. a half and then the rest of it was just tightening yes. and tightening yeah, and tightening. Yeah. And t- yeah. Okay. So um, um, yeah. There's a lot of books on stand-up and that, but you writing one, I'm 100% reading it, definitely. I'm really excited about it, actually. Oh, thank you. The, the thing that's different is I haven't read them all, obviously, but the ones I've browsed through just to have a look at what other people are doing, they're all about how to do it. And mine's how to do it better. Right, yeah, and I've yeah, warned yeah. people, you know, this is an advanced book. I've warned them. And I've actually, there's 17 chapters on writing and 15 on performing. And I've labeled the writing ones. So if you're new, you can skip to those ones because they'll help anyone. Yeah. But the things on performing, I'm taking it. Pe- people who've never been on stage will go, "Wow, this is almost like psychic energy you're discussing." Because yeah. if you haven't been on stage, you won't understand that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and love it. Seventeen man. chapters. Go on, sorry. No, I was just saying, I love it. Yeah, I love that. Subject. So, what, like, in terms of obviously, like, you know, it, it's only come out today, and um, it was rec- was it recommended by Amazon? Have put it right up at like the top of the recommendation list. Um, yeah, they put it number one in right. They had a top. 44 and they put it number one in writing okay. and um and then in canada and america's number four nice. 
So I was over the moon. I was over the moon. Um, they call it the um, some like I don't you know like hot tips or yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah. But the, the thing is that they they must have a team of people who just browse through anything that's been. They have to check anyway. That they, they, they can't just you can't just put a book up. It goes through Amazon. They look at it because you could be putting hate. And hate so is it self published through Amazon? Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Which is quite interesting. Which interesting way of doing it. I mean, a lot of people would be would think, oh, I've got an idea for a book, but I wouldn't even know where to begin. You know, how to even get it published. A lot of people still, I think, assume that you have to go through a publisher officially, and like, you know, there's a real rigmarole. As I went through when I was trying to get this book published, it was a real like, you know, it was through a publisher, and then I, I did all the work, and then they just were like, no, nah, actually, it's not. We don't. We don't think it's actually a market for it. So like, it was all the hard work. Felt like it was done for nothing. Whereas if anything, if I'd have started it with thinking, oh, I'm going to write this just for me and then self-publish, I probably would have stuck with it. Well, I, I, I'd like to say something that for anyone listening who's thinking about writing a book, there's an, a program called Vellum, V-E-L-L-U-M. And it's, as you're typing, you can see it on a screen of an iPad, Kindle, yeah. iPhone page yeah. then it lays it out for you so when you start a new chapter it lays them out for you and it, it, like for example the introduction page is in roman numerals and dedication it lays out it recognizes the word okay. dedication it lays it out differently so it knows everything you're doing. There's, there's no chapter heading or heading you're going to write in a book that hasn't been yeah, done before so it's like it recognizes final draft, it. i guess for scripts isn't it yeah yes it is yeah. but but the beautiful thing is it's free until you upload it so it's trying until you buy so for nothing you can write your book and then, you know, the, the, there weren't that many people involved. There's the cover designer, which I'm glad I use, because um, I had an idea, but she made it better. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm, I am I had the humility to acknowledge that I've never done the cover design. So someone who does it for a living is going to do something that you didn't think of, of course. So, And then there's a proofreader, which is helpful, because you're going to make typos and grammatical errors. And, and then illustrators, if you need them. You don't need them in a novel. And then you just need someone who knows how to upload it on Amazon. I've got a friend who's an author. But when you break it down, there's only seven people involved in the entire thing, including graphic art on Photoshop and Carter. Seven people. And if you go for a publisher, there's going to be a yeah, team yeah. of people that are going to be spending money that you can't choose to spend. They'll decide on the cover design. So my point is, anyone listening, you write it on an app that's free to you download it. And then when you've decided you definitely want to do it, it's 250 quid. So you can do it on a shoestring if you really want to. You can use social media to promote it and you can, you know, you can do the cover design yourself. You can do you can do everything yourself, actually, and trust your own gra uh, grammar you, if you wanted to. Or you could ask 10 friends to read it and check for grammar and between them point circle stuff. You know, you can. It's a bit like people going on YouTube and, and becoming successful, making their own videos. It's, you know, you don't need the, the man anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what so what when you say it's like it's to make comedians better like who do you are you do you want is it aimed at comedians or is it aimed at everyone who's interested in comedy plus comedians the the, the absolute target market would be somebody who's in their first three or four oh, years right, of okay, stand -up. Yeah, yeah, yeah and um but anyone who's never done it before they will benefit from it i i think so i've said we read the chapters on writing when you've done 30 gigs come back and reread the book and it will all make sense because suddenly that 30 gigs yeah, is a yeah, lot of knowledge yeah. Um, but there's other, you know, uh, people do public speaking a lot. Of, there's a 16-page chapter on corporate comedy, which would be good for anyone who does public speaking. And I mean, I, I need that. that. I'm so shit at corporates, man. I, I, <laughs> I think I'll, I'll be zoning in on that chapter. Do you know what? I, I speak in depth about corporates, and I always think to myself, 
Imagine someone buys that who happened to employ me for a corporate that went really badly. They're really going, he didn't apply any of this, any of this when he turned up. Yeah, it's terrifying thought. So what else do you cover in it? That talks through it because obviously, you know, it's, we haven't had a chance to read it yet. It's only just come out. But what's the, so what, so talk us through the stages of it without ruining the actual. How many chapters? Uh, 32. Ooh, mama. Okay. 300, 318 pages, 100,000 words. Wow. Oh, yeah. That's a thick book, then. It's a thick book. Um, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I was working, I probably have three days off in the eight months I've done it, and I probably average four hours a day. If I went on a long drive, any drive longer than 25 minutes, so that's not a long drive, any drive longer than 25 minutes, I played it on accessibility mode. There's a disabled mode for, for people who can't, uh, partially sighted. And um, I played it. So I do a five-hour round trip to a gig and I have it playing the whole time and I make mental notes to change bits. I start learning memory games. So it's amazing what you can remember. If you learn memory games, so you can remember 15 adjustments yeah. and then you pull over at services, you write them all down. So it was more than a full-time job. Yeah. Are you are you thinking about doing the audio version? Yeah. But you'd have to have PDF downloads for people to see the visuals because there are a lot of things where you I write stuff out and I put words in bold and... There's chapters on like repetition of words where I show you where I, the funny thing is what I, I learned stuff about what I was talking about while I was writing it. So I had a few equals MC squared moments as I was explaining stuff. So I went deeper into stuff than I actually thought I was going to go in because I was working stuff out as I was writing it, which was lovely feeling because you, you're, you're digging as you're going. Because it's all there at the back in your subconscious, I guess, and you're bringing it out and you're like, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I'll I tell you what, I'll tell you what made it unusual in my opinion, because I've ghostwritten for so many people, I've ghostwritten for over 50 people, and some of them, you know, multiple times. My record was, I kept count, it was 29 projects with somebody. Um, I've learned to articulate why I've changed something the way I do. And the, the analogy I give is that if you had to turn tell someone how to do a shoelace up over the phone without shoelaces in your hand, that I, could, I couldn't yeah, do yeah. that. That would be a hell of a job. But because I've explained my methods, I've actually articulated really intricate thoughts. And now I'm just putting those down because I've, I've, if someone says, why did you change that? I've got to explain why. And then I go, oh, well, actually, the amount of syllables on that side after a pause is more than that side. It doesn't. And, and, and I've started to work out formulas and patterns. I, I, it's not, comedy is not maths, but there's plenty of music. And I'm using, I've worked out some of the yeah, chords. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was going to, yeah, I suppose it's that thing. Of, but then does it... Does it, does it obviously lean towards certain styles of comedy, obviously, more than others? Do you know what I mean? I, I don't, yeah, I don't advise on character comedy. No, I but mean, in terms of also like long-form storytelling thing, you know, there's things that the formulas... Or the... I don't advise on musical comedy. <laughs> I don't you know advise what, watching one... musical comedy. Um... <laughs> the first draft... Well, there's a difference between musical comedy and song parody, <laughs> yeah, it's too separate. There was one when I, the first draft. There was a chapter called "Song Parody," and it just said, "Don't ever do it," <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> this chapter like fifteen pages each, and so I just don't do it. Yeah, but I it's out, still funny. It's, it's a classic thing as everybody. Like, well, we're talking about sort of old mainstream comedians. I'll still, as much as like, or in theory, it's obviously a style of comedy that you think, ah, get. But sometimes I'll still just laugh at some dumb shit, man. I've, I've, I'm so easily pleased oh, yeah. like, that I, uh, I'm not a snob at all about what I laugh at. I'm a snob about what I'll discuss afterwards. You know what I mean? It's that thing in the moment. My sense of humour is as about as bland and broad as it as any anything could be. But like, 
then I then in the post match analysis, I'm like, that was shit. <laughs> Even though I was crying laughing at the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but but yeah, um, in terms of like different styles, so a storyteller, I suppose, is what I'm saying. Is like, you know, it, like do do the formulas and the sort of style of, you know, when you say you've got chords and stuff like you equating it to music, how would that work with someone who's doing a lot of twenty minute story about one thing? Well, that's a good question. I think the longest longest chapters on storytelling, right. and although my stories are short, if if I do, you probably never even see me tell a story. But I do sometimes tell stories, but they're short. But I'm still applying theory that would be in a twenty minute story. I mean, I know you're a proper storyteller, and you do like eight minute stories yeah. sometimes. But I think it'd be interesting to see what you think uh, when you look at it. I think that I've covered every aspect of storytelling. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, my pet hate is when Tom tells a story as it happens and the only punchlines are what other people said and what actually yeah, happened. And then they're, they're not putting anything of their yeah, own yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, because I've always I, I treated a story as, like, if it's a funny story, I want to tell it. But I also treat it as a vehicle to do observational stuff during it. It's like a sort of journey, isn't it? And there's, here's, on the yeah, way I, you're pointing I, I, out I funny what's... things that that are related, but doesn't doesn't always have to be crucial to the story. Well, I, I I say to people, watch your favourite comedian telling a story. My my camera, oh, there you go. I, I say, watch your favourite comedian telling a story and just stop to look at how many punchlines, tangents, detailed descriptions of what's going on. They're not just saying what happened. No. They're not. They're saying their thoughts on what happened. And I, what I talk I talk as a two-track. I do a diagram. It's a two-track recorder. And the one track is what happened. And the other track is your thoughts while it happened. Like and when they hypothesize and, yeah, their thoughts on... Yeah. Bill so Bird when... does that. His whole story would be his imaginings about the situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so I think the, the the thing about a good storyteller is they make it look like they're just saying what happened. And because the, 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 they're so good at crafting it, an untrained eye will go, oh, they're just telling what happened. They go, you know, you do it, Carl. Um, Jason Manford does it, and and you're you're, so then you get these inexperienced comedians who just, just yeah. say what happened, and they, this did this, and, I, and then I said that, and and it goes, there's no depth, and there's no you, the layers that are going on. So when I say track one and two, if you talk about what happened and you make a funny comment about exactly what you, you let's say you're setting the scene and then you make a joke, that's track one and two merging because you said where you were, then you say something funny immediately afterwards. That's track one. They merge. So it's, a story is one track, but it's made yeah, of two. Yeah, yeah. And your job is to merge them together. But I, yeah, although as I know is, we all As is a joke, that. isn't it? As is a one-liner joke. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, so yeah, so I don't, but I don't cover uh, character comedy. I, they, I talk about something um, that character com- comedians do that they shouldn't do. Um, but I don't, I don't, I don't, what's that? Well, there's a there's a chapter called boom mic moments. So you know when a boom mic appears in a film and you're watching the film and it just yeah, pops yeah. in like that, and you go, oh god, it's just acting now. You know it, it ruins it for you. But you always knew it was acting, but you forgot it was acting. So a boom mic yes. moment for me is when a comedian reminds you that what they've just said they've done a hundred times before. And um, I mean, an ego related boom mic moment is a comedian going, oh that joke normally works. Oh man, and I'm like. You know, or, or you're in the middle of a story referring to something yes. as a joke. They're not. It's not a joke to them. It's a story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Gary Delaney 
referring to it a joke, fine, it's a joke. But I, I, I refer to the joke. But if you're telling a story and the bloke did this and the bloke did this and then he did this and then she turned around and she said this and oh that that joke normally works. Because they're, they're yeah, not jokes, yeah, they're yeah. they're moments of the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But normally but saying normally works is not only insulting your audience, saying that, that they you know, that they're a bad audience, you also remind that audience that you just said the same thing last night. So yeah, yeah, yeah. A boom mic moment with, with character comedians is I've seen character comedians, I'm not gonna name them, they'll say Unlike the other comedians tonight. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You're supposed to be an electrician who's popped down to fix the yes. stage. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Or, or, or um, you know that joke. Your character, like Al Murray, the pub landlord, got it down to an art form. And I remember when the audience were really laughing hard. He'd he'd go like this, and look, looked like he's annoyed. And I said, to him, "Why did you do that? It's, it's fascinating." He said, "Because I'm my character's so thick." He's getting annoyed that they're laughing at him because he doesn't yeah, know why yeah. they're laughing at him. So he's, you know, it's like the aggressive people who aren't too bright and they just get—they don't understand why you're laughing at them. It's just what's going on? Like those people are mocking me. I don't yeah, know why. Yeah, yeah. But the point is that referring to a joke not working—if you're pretending to be an electrician, let's say you've wandered on and you're supposed to be an electrician fixing the microphone, and the compound brings you on and says, "Oh, uh, there's been a technical problem. Please welcome." Come in. And he walks on fixing the microphone. He can't refer to the last time he did a joke about fixing the bike. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the, yeah, destroys yeah, yeah. the character. So, yeah, so that's that's the closest I get to character comedy. But, yeah. But I, I suppose that, is it. That, um, it. I suppose it depends unless if it's done consciously as a sort of almost a corpse-in type thing where it's, it's part of the meta yeah. character. Where I suppose there is ways Meta's it great. can be done, but it has to be done. Yeah. Like, you, you have to be on the same wavelength as the audience, I suppose. Yeah, I, I, but the thing is, if, if you, um, for example, a boom mic moment, um, I watched some the other day be improv in and out of their material so smoothly, I couldn't tell what was yeah. material, what was improv. It was genuine improv, and the joins, that just was sublime. And at the very, very end of their set, they told a story, and everyone laughed, but it wasn't a big laugh, and they went, oh, I normally end on that. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, everything up till then, and it, that's just a mic just popped in. We we didn't know what was. I'm not saying you should pretend your material's improv, but don't remind them that what you're telling them as a general story. That I, I, you know, it's a bit like having sex with someone and then whispering in your ear, "Oh, this is my ex's favorite position." <laughs> Julian's favorite line to say during sex. Yeah. <laughs> he opens with that. But anyways, but, but but to answer your question, no, it doesn't cover um, everything. It doesn't cover musical comedy. I can't talk about music comedy. I've yeah. never done it. I can't talk about character comedy. I talk about everything I know, but I don't just talk about my style. I talk about all styles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just not character comedy. Okay. That's good. Um, but what could you? What sort of? What tips could you give me and Julian to improve our styles? What should we be doing? Um, what well, the thing is, you're, what I love about you two is you're both very different comedians, right? You're anecdotal, and Julian tells one and two line jokes. You actually couldn't be no, more no. different. Emotionally, personally, um, <laughs> I do, I do so. uh, Brendan Burns said to me, I saw a, a, a new comedian the other day, and he's the closest thing I've seen to the way your mind works when you structure jokes. And it was Julian. Ah. Have I told you that before, Julian? I, I, I think so, yeah. You had a line about, um, you mentioned an African country, I can't remember what she said, my girlfriend, she said, uh, uh, 
my boyfriend went to Mozambique and all I got was this lousy AIDS. <laughs> I remember that joke. <laughs> but, <laughs> what I love, what I love is lousy, such an understatement. Lousy, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, that, that's <laughs> lousy. <laughs> but that, that's what makes it brilliant, right? The twist, the twist, the twist is great, but the choice of the word. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 Julian thought that that was the closest thing he's seen to my style of thinking. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Julian, Brendan. Brendan, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah, I remember seeing you before I ever did stand up. Um, yeah, 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 you studied me. <laughs> and I thought, I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Talking about um, being similar to someone and not... Obviously, our energy is different, but just structurally... Um, I got flown to Miami to do Last Comic Standing and you do a three-minute audition to two people. You stand on a podium with a camera crew and two judges, a producer and a two producers, I think. And I did my three-minute audition. They flew me. They paid me. They put me up. They paid my flight. No fee. They flew me to Miami. I did my three-minute set and they went, don't you think you're a little bit similar to someone else? And I went, no who? And they went, David Tell? Now, we look a bit similar. His comedy's way more edgy, um, way more opinionated. The whole and attitude is completely different. Completely different. I'd been doing stand-up for about 10 years before he was drawn to my attention. So I know yeah, there's no yeah, influence because yeah, yeah. I hadn't heard of him for 10 years. And I was like, well, no. And I redid one of my jokes in his voice to sort of say how he would have said it differently. It wasn't a masterful example, but... I, I redid my joke so he would in his joke that would have been the victim rather than the other way and and I thought you flew me to Miami <laughs> to tell me that they'd obviously seen me they didn't discover it in like three minutes do you know what I mean they chose me they watched on YouTube and hey, let's get on, let's fly to Miami and shit. <laughs> arguably it's the best heckle of all time <laughs> unbelievable Unbelievable. <laughs> that shows you what producers know, know. though, really, isn't it? Insane. Well, I, I've got to say, if comedy producers knew anything about stand-up, they'd still be doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so true. Um, we would have got to the Laughing Horse quarterfinals. <laughs> um, I've just seen some – there's got some questions on our group. I've just uh, – one of them is – from Timmy, says, love Adam Bloom. He's an amazing joke writer. I've seen him storm Bell and Banana a couple of times. He's also a big hip-hop head. Please, can you ask him about his history yeah. with hip-hop? I was a breakdancer. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. I was a, I was a breakdancer. I was a graffiti. I, I've got a criminal record for graffiti. Right. That bad, um, was it? I went to court 17 years old and found guilty of criminal damage. God. Where, yeah. did, you, what, 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 um, so, where did you graffiti, first off? In Richmond, where I grew up, big um, graffiti. So yeah, I, yeah. I, I've been into hip hop. I, I, I actually talk about hip in my book book because flow in hip hop is such a. You interview any rapper about yeah. flow uh, about their music. They'll always talk about. If you ask a rapper their favorite rappers, they'll always say flow. That flow will always come up. And um, so I, I, there's a whole chapter on on. Uh, um, you flow mean, when you say flow, because, you mean like the state of flow, the mental state of flow. Oh, you're no, about... the, 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 the music oh, okay. of words. So Mitch Hedberg... The lack of flow, you mean? No, 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 like the actual flow of the work. Oh, so the rappers flow. talk about flow, the, the, the flow. 
yeah. So, so Mitch Hedbo's got a unique flavor. Right, yes. I used yeah, to yeah. do drugs. I still do drugs, but I used to do. Yeah, yeah. That's his rhythm. And like his jokes, I, I taught myself to play bass, which was a bad idea because I can't play. Right? Yeah, they, yeah. they both sound the same. That's his, he's not just got good flow. He's got a unique yes. flow. And you, you know, look at rappers, Biggie Smalls, Eminem, they've yeah, got their yeah, own yeah, flow. Yeah. So, um, but your your friend here asking about the hip hop, um, I didn't know this was live. It's not live, but we put a, we put a thing out earlier saying we were doing the podcast and you were coming on. So we get a few, we got a few questions in advance. Oh, that's great. Um, so yeah, so I, I I discovered Run DMC when I was thirteen, and it just there was a line when he went, "I'm DMC in a place to be." I go to St John's University, and I thought someone's telling me where they're studying at the moment, <laughs> and I, I just. I was like, I've never shared this moment. I've, I mentioned them in my book, but I went, wow, you're talking about your school. And and I like people say like, hip hop's all the same. And they go guns and da, 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 and they mention it. Yeah, there is, there are repetitions of subject matter. But when you think about it, probably 80% of songs are about love. Mm. And yet hip hop, you know, infinite subject matters. Infinite. Yeah, yeah. Tribe Called Quest, I left my wallet in El Shagundo. A song about Livian's wallet somewhere. There, there were, I mean, there were singers who do, um, what's the name? Um, Bill Withers did a song about his grandmother's hands called Grandma's Hands. Have you heard this no. song? The whole song is about his grandmother's hands. Each verse, each line, every line, every single line starts with Grandma's hands. So he said Grandma's hands clapped in church every morning, So Sunday morning, so you know she's religious because her yeah. hands are clapping. Or her hand would issue out a warning, so she'd tell him off. So she, he's describing a character, but it's always through her hands. So there are inventive songs, of course there are. But but the thing about hip hop is, if you list, if you took two albums and listed every track, they're they're far more uh, unusual choices of yes. subject matter than the average song, which is "I love you, I love you, I love you, I lost you, I yeah, lost you, yeah, I love yeah, you, yeah. I got back with you." You know, th- it, it, I would say if you went in the charts at least 60% of the songs would be about some form of love or emotion towards somebody else that they're... And yet hip-hop's so inventive. So, so inventive. So, yeah, so I got into hip-hop when I was 13, then got into breakdancing, graffiti. So hip-hop, I'm 52, and hip-hop's still a significant part of my life. I listen to hip-hop every day of my life. Um, So what's your take on... um... Like, what, do you like modern hip hop? Is it? Are you sort of? Because I know, like, I, some people sort of who were classic hip hop fans and that do struggle a bit more with modern hip hop and see, sort of do veer towards the classical stuff rather than, you know, things like. I'm, I'm slightly stuck in the late eighties. Yeah, I'm slightly stuck in the late eighties, early nineties. Della Soul, Trust yeah, yeah, yeah. Public Enemy, Beastie Boys, uh, Eric B and Rakim. But there's some new people. There's a guy called Jay Cole. Mm, I know Jay Cole. Uh, who is he's a modern philosopher? It, he he's got a song called "Love Yours" with a Z, um, and it should be the anthem for lockdown. It got me. Th- I know it sounds a bit dramatic, but it got me through right. lockdown because it was a song about being grateful for the people you got around you, and um, the the chorus is "No such thing as a life that's better than yours," which is that's philosophy in itself. No such thing as a life that's better than yours. You you fantasize about being rich and all these people you see on TV. I wish I was like them. Rather than the cliche of like money's not everything, no such thing as a life that's better than yours. I love that. I, me- I remember, um, maybe I shouldn't say his name because he it wasn't me, not for me to say, but a stadium filling comedian said to me, I'm no happier than I was when I started before I got successful. I'm no happier, yeah. But I'd say that's quite common with 
it is super high achievers you know what i mean that thing of often the thing that takes you know obviously i, I mean you have to be an amazing comedian and be able to uh, connect with people to a certain degree like all them comedians we know we know we've got mates who are arena selling comedians and you know on a technical level you could probably name a couple of comedians who you think are as good as them that are just your average club headliners right that you think technically are as good sure. but often the thing that slightly differentiates them is the one who's got like you know to that level has just this certain accessibility or likability or charisma there's something just slightly different that makes makes people just warm to them way more and remember them as well people will walk out yeah like, sure like that guy um but but yeah i mean like i don't i think often the people that really chase that and get there they're they're all they're going to chase it regardless of how successful they are they could be yeah that their, their lack of happiness comes from somewhere so different to their success yeah yeah but we 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 got off we're making two points now. and by the way when i said it is common and it's not like i'm contradicting myself i know it's common but he said it was such it, it really it was profound when he said it to me because it was just like looking at this this multi multi-millionaire going no happier and i suppose it wouldn't surprise me if someone else said it but he said it's so down to earth it was so down to earth but yeah with regard to i mean with regard to those people who are driven, I tell you what's interesting. I had a four-day window between a three-day window between finishing my book and being able to plug it because it was available. And in that three days, I felt like I've not, I had nothing right. to do because I, my life's been so full for eight months. I felt right. empty when I pressed that button, click. I actually felt I was felt like I was saying goodbye to something. Yes. Right, that's the end of this week's public episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, what happens now, Julian? They can, if they want to hear the rest of the episode, they can go over to patreon.com slash wearetvi. There you go. Once you've signed up there, you can hear the rest of the episode. You can hear all the old Patreon episodes, exclusives, whatever. Um, it's 45p a week. Is it? Is it? Mm. That's cool. Mm. I didn't know that. Um, Easy life. There we go. It's even cheaper than I thought. So do that. And um, But if not, don't worry. You can listen to next week's public episode when it's released. Thanks. Thank you. I'm all right.